Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Daniel, welcome to Startup Stories podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So for the audience, could you give them uh, a brief introduction into, you, into who you are? Absolutely. My name's uh, Daniel Hanneman. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Uh, my dad's German. My mom's from Taiwan. And with 18, I moved to Germany, studied business, and have been in the startup world ever since. Amazing. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, I was always cur- also curious uh, where the slight American accent comes from. Did you go to an in, in international school? I went to German-Swiss uh, international school in Hong Kong. So yeah, um, it's, it's the international school accent. So my writing is completely in British English or the vocabulary, but you know, Hollywood movies influence that accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel, too, I want to really get to understand who you are. Uh, you know, you, you've achieved great things with Wonder Tax, but let's roll it right back roll it right back to your earliest memory can you give me an idea of what that looks like the very earliest memory was probably so so it's interesting because like um you know you know how earliest memories work uh, a lot of the times it's influenced and you think it's your earliest memory but the one i think it is at least is <laughs> uh the very earliest was um me being at the beach with my parents and not understanding. And it was, I think it was somewhere in Southeast Asia where they were like having like salt fields. And my toddler brain did not comprehend that the water was salty because of natural (laughs) causes. And they were just like getting the salt out of the, farming the salt out of the water. But I was, I got mad because I thought that they were pouring the salt into the water. So that is, I think the very first memory that I have. Brilliant. I could totally understand why you would think that as a toddler as well, if you've never had the understanding, the concept of the sea. (laughs) Exactly. Brilliant. So, okay, let's, let's dive even more deeper into your childhood then. So you grew up in Hong Kong. Is that right? You said? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So through, um, all through 18. Okay. So take me back to your, your childhood then. What was life like growing up in Hong Kong? It was very interesting because we had I had a very I had a mixed childhood um, in the culturally speaking. So my mom, being from Taiwan, speaking she sp- spoke perfect Cantonese, um, but I didn't. I spoke Mandarin with with her. I mean, it's when I meet people from Hong Kong and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, let's speak Cantonese." Like I always have, I'm, I kind of have to disappoint them because I speak Mandarin with a very Taiwanese accent as well. So. Um, Growing up in Hong Kong, we had that expat lifestyle. So we had a little bit of an expat bubble, but I was very much in touch with the local culture. So we went to local restaurants, went to local markets. With my mom, we, sp- like, we spoke Mandarin together. In Hong Kong, basically everyone understands Mandarin to a certain degree and or English. But so, so we could communicate. So we were there part of, of the society. But at the same time, I went to German school, had a lot of contact with like, you know, expat kids, my dad working for a German company. Of course, we also had a lot of contact with, you know, like the German community. So growing up in Hong Kong was culturally very confusing. <laughs> but um, at the same time, it was very, very rewarding because you were very much in, you know, like the hotspot of Asia. Like going through the years, you know, the handover from the UK to China and seeing all the developments um, also of recent years and, be, and to have, you know, like both the Western perspective and the Chinese perspective is just very rewarding, not just to have like a political opinion, but also like personally to, for your death. Your parents, so, so your father is from Germany and your mom from Taiwan. Exactly. Do you carry either of the uh, either of the, either of their traits i'd say so yeah 
So my girlfriend is from, from uh, like, she's originally from Serbia. She moved to Germany when she was 10. And she does say, like, okay, I feel like, even though we speak German together, like, she says a lot of times, I feel like you have those Asian, like, cultural cultural traits, which which is very interesting to me um, because, you know, like, I, I, they, I don't consciously say, like, okay, this is my Asian trait or anything. I carry traits, yeah. I carry traits from from both the cultures. I carry personal traits of theirs as well. Uh, I'd say my mom is very, can be very headstrong, but also, and this is maybe a bit more of an Asian trait, very much like community, like, you know, there's a longing for harmony within, between people, you know. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the German, you know, pragmatism, I, I do say, I, I would say I do carry that with me as well. A lot of people say like when they're like a CEO, founder, whatever it may be in business, that some of their biggest influences started off very, very early in their lives without even knowing sometimes. Can you think of a a, a big influence in your life? Yeah, I always felt like, I mean, my parents weren't entrepreneurs. They didn't, my, my dad was a manager at um, uh, Metro, which is in, in, in the UK's macro uh, as a sourcing sourcing manager, my mom was a was a was a Chinese tutor, but they were both very entrepreneurial when it came came you know like they were also uh, always on the lookout for buying buying uh, properties for us moving in, but then also you know flipping, etc. So I would say for my like what what did form me was a lot you know that entrepreneurial thinking and that that mindset that anything is possible if you set your mind to it. At the same time, you know, we spent every summer in in Germany. My mom and dad sent me off to summer camp every every year, uh, probably because they wanted two weeks of peace and quiet. But <laughs> uh, it was it was very what what I found extremely rewarding about that was, you know, growing up with expat kids, a lot of them being you know manager parents being managers or bankers or you know, in that area so it's all very wealthy going to summer camp with like you know kids of of bakers and policemen and 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 everything giving me that other perspective i think Mm. i'm very thankful that my parents did that you know they sent me off to to the this this summer camp which was you know with local kids from the country my dad's from the countryside in germany it's near near switzerland the black forest area and sending me to this with with you know it it sounds very bougie but you know like normal normal people normal kids just gave me i would say that level of empathy to to be able to relate to you know the problems that now to bring it back to startup you know the, the problems that our customers face and not just you know have that perspective of like Oh, I'm the visionary founder. The customers should like what I what I do. But to actually have that emp- that level of empathy to be like, no, the customers or the users probably stumble upon this problem. They probably want this, you know. So I'd say, yeah, I, I attribute a lot of my of the entrepreneurial prowess to to my upbringing. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Like you say, going to these camps, it gave you a different perspective, which is, of course, what you need to have in mind when you're starting a business. Can't all just be what you think. It's ultimately the audience, the customers, the the end users. Okay, so you you told me that you lived in, in Hong Kong up to the age of 18. Talk to me about that moment where you're now moving to, to Germany. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> or where, yeah, cool. Um, being 18, you think you're invincible. Um, I went, you know, like I, I thought I knew Germany. I, I thought, you know, oh, I spent there every summer there by, you know, like culturally, like I know what's going on, but like actually moving to Germany and I went to WHU, which is in this small town uh, close to Koblenz, which is a small city between Frankfurt and, 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 um, and Cologne. It was it was a culture shock. Like you know, even a lot of kids, a lot of students back then had it had a difficult time. You know, like getting common, uh, getting accustomed to uh, being at uni, 
uh, accustomed to, you know, the workload of, of university, etc. Whilst I had to deal with, you know, being just 18, living by myself, I, all of most of them had their parents within, you know, like a three hour range of stuff. My parents were halfway across the world. So, uh, you know, I additionally to all the stress from uh, university, you know, like had to deal with having my own household, uh, having to take care of myself completely from zero, you know, and at the same time, most of the cultural shock of being like, you know, in Germany with people that came from, you know, with like Germans who came from, you know, from the countryside and uh, never seen an Asian person before, like, or at least like outside of a restaurant context, have never seen an Asian person before was, was it was challenging, like at the beginning, you know, like going to Germany, having to deal with all those big, big changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did it teach you? Um, I'd say resilience. In the first year of university, I did very badly. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I did it quite badly. I didn't really want to continue at university. I, I, I went to you know the university career office and told them about my problems and didn't want to continue. But you know, my my dad said, "Look, nobody's going to ask you about your grades when you get out of university," which turned out to be very true. Back then, though, you think like, oh, my God, you know, like, I'm never going to make it because my grades are bad, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, my dad said, you know, like, get it together. The, the university was also very helpful. I did a lot of I started doing a lot of sports. I put a lot of, you know, the at the beginning of university, you know, you start you, you go you you're living by yourself. You know, you're you're young. And you, you want to have fun. So you go drinking and parties. And I just realized, and just to all these kind of get togethers, I just realized in the second year of university when I was like, oh shit, like this is actually, this is actually tough, right? Like I, I've been sort of pouring it, like I took that energy and took the, the time that we spent on, you know, get togethers and stuff like that and poured that, like, let's say into sports to, into, you know, actually you know, hanging out with friends, going to nice, going to a restaurant instead of, you know, going to a bar. I just mm -hmm. poured all of that frustration, I'd say, into more like energy building activities instead of energy draining activities. Because a hangover, as everyone knows, uh, is energy draining. Um, Absolutely. And it just taught me to, you know, like, on the one hand, resilience, just, you know, like, like powering through. But on the other hand, also, you know, finding that a healthy balance between the stress and dealing with the stress. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, you, you persevered, at least you stuck it out. And uh, I think your, your father was right. Uh, I, I, too, have a you know, similar experience with regards to, you know, you think your grades are the be all and end all. Yeah. But they're really not. I mean, if you can uh, actually deliver through action rather than just theory, I think you're yeah. always going to be favored. And I think that speaks for entrepreneurs that just go get us and they do stuff, right? So Absolutely. Like, I, actually, I think, I think it, it was the, a blessing in disguise um, mm -hmm. because um, at the beginning, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm running a fintech company, right? So, so I did have a knack for finance uh, from, from the beginning. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, when I left uh, university, I went to Rocket Internet, I went to Food Panda and did finance, actually. I was uh, like, but this was like startup finance, right? Like getting in, getting the restaurants to pay no, sorry, paying the restaurants, getting getting the customers to pay, dealing with all the operational, you know, cash flows and et cetera. So I did always have a knack for this, but if I would have gotten really good grades from the beginning, I probably would have gone to an investment bank. I wouldn't be talking to you. And I don't think I would have been that happy in an investment bank compared to the, you know, founding companies doing stuff in a grassroots way. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. I mean, from my experience, I, I believe that when you get such good grades, you're almost like pretty set to go on a path. And often those people might go on a particular ladder, like you were saying, an investment bank, when you just climb up the ladder and so on, which is great. But when you don't get so good grades, let's say, or get what you would like to, you have to go down the slightly harder route, which is where you have to get a bit more creative, imaginative, 
and sort of ch- sometimes create your own path, which is what many entrepreneurs do, because you you have it in your head that if you don't have these top grades, you can't go to top places. That was my experience anyway. I mean, my grades were were okay; they weren't phenomenal, but they weren't bad. But my um, mindset was like, if you don't have a, a, a top <laughs> university degree, then you're never going to get a great job. So I sort of created my own path and created my own business through imagination and having to really think on your own feet yeah exactly what was your first job daniel so my first full-time job is i went to rocket internet and found and uh at food panda so i um i went back to hong kong um it was a it was a very actually i had a a job before that but it was more of a project like it was more of a project thing um so the one where I was a little bit longer was, like I said, um, Food Panda in Hong Kong. I went to Rocket Internet. Um, I was actually waiting for my master's because that project ended. So a friend of mine who I still do quite a lot of business with, but he, he was working at Food Panda in, in Hong Kong. And he um, worked at um, as an interim MD, right? So what happened was uh, he found out in the second week or something that finance was a complete nightmare. Uh, So what he did was he called me up and was like, hey, Daniel, can you do finance? And I said, yeah, sure, I can do finance. And he said, when can you come? I said, well, maybe this afternoon. He's like, yeah, maybe come tomorrow. And then I started doing finance. And we like, again, operational finance. I wasn't calculating any crazy ratios or anything. But like we were paying restaurants, we were you know like uh, getting the cash flows right. Uh, we were doing the the monthly reporting to Germany. It was fantastic. It was a great, great ex- learning experience. I stuck there for a year. We did um, um, we, you know how how like startups. If you're a founder, the number one worry you have is your cash. Like when will will I be able to pay my salary? The next few salaries. And this was like, that's 50% of your, of your job as a founder, right? But at Food Panda, we were able to, you know, concentrate on the other 50%, which was because money was not an issue. Uh, we, Hong Kong was a, was a focus market. We were, we said, okay, we need this and this much cash. They wouldn't send it to us. They would ask us a few questions why we need it. And then they would, uh, they would send it. Okay, cool. So your, your first Real, your full-time job was was food panda i mean uh, not long or just after that you you founded wonder tax so i'm really curious about that moment i mean firstly was the entre- entrepreneurial mind always within you or do you feel like you sort of just became an entrepreneur within those few moments that is that is a very very interesting question that could fill the whole podcast i'd say <laughs> but i i i do think that you know like i had the spark like the the interest not the spark the interest from the very beginning you know like i was always interested in tech i was always interested in innovation and you know like what startups could do i from, from you know like from secondary school i did follow these tech innovations right like i I always found it very very interesting but there wasn't really like a conscious thought to to like start a tech startup you know like i at the beginning of my studies i thought like okay i'd like to do the whole going to asia because i also speak chinese you know using that follow a similar path to my father or you know like the banking stuff was always very interesting but like once i worked at food panda rocket internet which was you know like in berlin at least it's it's known as you know the startup school there are lots of entrepreneurs that you know after graduating i'm even saying after like working at rocket internet that started their own businesses i was you know enthralled by the it was so you know addicting the, the the whole energy of the whole journey it was we were our prerogative was growth right like they told us you guys have to grow food hong kong is one of the the key markets hire riders get entrepreneurial about it hey buy scooters if you have to 
etc. And and we we just you know like we were young, we had energy, we were working our asses off because it was just so much fun. We weren't nobody was exactly you know driven by by any extrinsic by, by salaries or nobody had shares or anything right like we were just it was just so addictive to 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 see those numbers go grow go up you know those orders go up those the 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 mps scores go up the delivery times going down and we just you know we built models we we automated stuff with excel and it was it was it was addicting and that was i think really the the point where i was like okay this is something i want to do for the rest of my life yeah there's something to be said with that so they really you know you really saw your your work come to fruition and seeing seeing it happen and it, and as you say you weren't even thinking about the salary the shares and stuff like that you were just really enjoying it and that's uh, that comes down to you know, really believing in the in, in the product or the service. We were fixing stuff, right? We yeah. were we were always confronted with problems, which which I think every entrepreneur that might be listening can really relate to. We we always had something, you know, catching fire. It was interesting because once I started, you know, Thunder Tax myself, like having that realization, okay, so there's always one big, big, big fire to which is cash, which is, you know, like, how am I going to pay my uh, employees down the line? Having that, you know, you know, not having to worry about that and fully concentrating operational stuff, that was very interesting. But once I started with, with Wonder Tax, of course, like, that reality caught up. Mm-hmm. So you've added Wonder Tax in 2015, and it was fully live in 2016. Exactly. Now, a lot of people think about starting a business and then they quickly forget about that that idea Mm -hmm. so it does really take some sort of driver whatever that may be to actually say you know what i'm actually going to do this Mm -hmm. so what was it for you that made you think i'm really going to turn this into a reality so i went to berlin because berlin was like the you know the startup hub and i I started at this at this company they were doing marketing tech i had the role of like you know in-house entrepreneur it was really great it was really really fun uh problem about it was that you know it was it was an established company so there wasn't exactly a lot of that same hands in the dirt kind of kind of uh momentum so how it started for us was um, my classmate from university, David. We we sat together. He told me, "Hey, I have this this idea with taxes. You know, like in Germany, there's this tax credit that students can get, which, oddly enough, which is which could, can be worth thousands of euros once you start work in in tax refund once you start working. And oddly enough, nobody knew about it. Um, there were a few like." Um, insurance companies, insurance brokers who try to, you know, like do seminars and told all the students that you can do it, but not how to do it. So we were like, okay, this is, this doesn't make sense. Let's, let's build something, right? Like, and what happened was it went viral. It went absolutely viral. And we, it was, the tool was absolute shite. It was, you know, like you could in theory, hand in your tax return. And a lot of people did. Um, but it wasn't exactly good user experience. It wasn't, you know, it didn't cover all cases. It wasn't, it didn't have errors, right? You still had like a legitimate tax return that you could hand in. But it was really just like, if you had any capital gains, if you had any tax, uh, like, like you know, investments, if you had any, you know, if you had a, if you were married or if you had, a property, whatever, like like just common things, like you can't, there, <laughs> you couldn't do it with us. But it went viral, mm. like all we shared it in a few Facebook student groups, and it was just like boom, they all shared it, um, and we really hit this this pain point that people felt very very apparently. So we were just like, hey, this we're on to something, and that's when we both quit our jobs. We did this. We started doing it full time. We did the plunge. It's very much easier to say, you know, like I have to, I have to add to that. It's very much easier to say if that, like to just quit your job and do it if you don't have responsibilities, you know, and to be fair, also a bit of a financial, financial backing from home. Like it is very much easier to take the plunge. Having said that though, 
I'm a big fan of the lean startup method, right? We're not, I'm, I don't think anyone should quit their job. And for those that, that are listening and are considering starting, starting up, don't quit your job and build for a year, you know, and live off your savings. Like that's not going to work. Um, you might be lucky and like after a year, you have that crazy project product that you want to, that, that people are going to buy. But like most of the times that doesn't work. Rather, do it like, and this is something I recommend to every budding entrepreneur, like look up the lean startup method, build an MVP, right? Build, measure, learn, build, and then look at if the customers liked it, learn from it and iterate on it, right? And stumble your way to, to a product that people actually want, right? That's what we, I mean, we were very lucky that people were immediately, you know, like, oh, wow, taxes can be easy kind of, kind of way. But we could have, we could have sat down and like just built and built and built and built until we had the perfect tax product, right? But we didn't. We, we, we launched this shitty, shitty user interface. There's a, well, I, I forgot who quote who said this but like you know if you're if you're not ashamed of your product of your first product you're launched too late um yeah yeah <laughs> and 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 that's what i would recommend everyone to do if you have an idea spend the minimal amount you can you can audit uh, you you can to make it work a minimum viable product right and see if people buy it and don't ask your friends would you buy it Ask your friends to buy it. And if they're like, ah, well, because friends will always give you feedback. Oh, this is cool, blah, blah, blah. But if you're like, hey, but would you, you know, like take out your credit card right now and pay me 30 euros for this? You know, they would be like, ah, maybe, maybe not, right? Like try to find, find a minimum product where people will, a viable product, that's an important, that will actually pay. And once you get traction, then quit your day job. Yeah, that was and, so well gone. Sorry, you go on. You finish. Yes, and and if people say I don't have time for that, yes, you do. Take out that weekend. It doesn't take more than that. Nowadays, there's so many AI tools. There's so many build DIY tech tools. You can throw together a website within two hours. Trust me, will look way better than whatever we built in the beginning. <laughs> yes, very true. I was going to say that that was so well put. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you look at, you know, two types of companies, company A and company B, uh, you know, company A spends three years trying to perfect the perfect product, whereas you could get started within six months. You've got two and a half years of trial and error, like get the feedback from the customer. They're not liking this, so improve that and this and that. Next thing you know, you've been in the market two and a half years longer than they already have. Yeah, you might not have the perfect product, but you've probably still been making some money. And by the time you reach the third year, your pro product would probably be better than the person that spent three and years. made money. Yes. <laughs> Procrastinate. And, and, and the thing is, like, people are always, like, afraid, oh, but, but like, it's, it's called next feature fallacy. Next feature fallacy. Because people will always be like, oh, we need to build this and then customers will come. You know, I think an important thing is also to like realize at some point that it probably won't work, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe your market's large enough. Maybe your, your, your approach is not the right one to tackle this problem. You said it very well. You couldn't build three years of through your own ideas, through your own vision, right? And after the three years, you might have a perfect product for you. But once you start trying to sell it, people are like, hmm. But if you spend, let's say, three months on your MVP and iterate on the customer feedback, right? It's, it might not be the perfect product. You might have customers. We had this like two, even even now, like we had this like like two months ago where an angry customer was at our office who was like, I want my money back. And we we're like, but why? You know, like he was angry and we were like, oh, well. And he was like, oh, it's all wrong. And then we were like, okay, maybe we can like sit through it. We gave him the money. We gave him a refund, but it was great customer feedback. Yeah, know? absolutely. You can't ask for any You've better. earned money. You've also earned money. You were able to pay your bills. And negative feedback is much better from customers than, than you know, like your friends telling you, oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You learn more from the uh, the trials and the tribulations, the, the, the setbacks most definitely. Yeah. 
so my, my girlfriend is uh, an urban planner and she's she studied architecture as well um, before that. And it's a very much the case that like there are lots of jobs where you have to be a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, you can't build it an architect like a building a skyscraper on this lean startup method don't get me wrong here right it's not it's not uh, one size fits all but um and it's very interesting because they are complete reverse they're like perfectionists right they want to build the perfect building everything has to be uh you know set and and done and project boom full stop you know period under it and then and then it's finished you're not going to touch it again it's very interesting when we have these debates because I always say, you know, uh, perfect is the enemy of done. And I think that's like the start or the entrepreneur's mission to be like, okay, what is done, right? You're never going to reach perfection or else companies wouldn't exist, right? But because, or, or work, continuous work wouldn't exist, but like what is done? Yeah, I like that. Get it down. Uh, okay, so... Yeah, right. So when you started Wonder Tax in 2016, talk to me about the first year. What did you run into that you did not expect about entrepreneurship in your first year? Um, what I didn't expect, I think what I lost a lot was, you know, naivete. Um, I think a lot of the founders or or because i was a first-time founder as well like you know it was and naive young and naive right and i did feel like a lot of the times you're like okay which comes back to the first point right like you were like okay this this feature pro customers are going to love it they all told me they all told me this feature is the one that needs to get out the gates and you know and then you launch it and then nobody's using it and you have to constrain your optimism Right, like as as founders or, or people that start founding companies, they do have that sense of boundless optimism, right? Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs do, but you do have to bridle that. You know, there there are a lot of trials and tribulations where you're like, oh, where you're like, okay, this must work, right? <laughs> and then it doesn't. Um, and I think a lot of things are taken easy. Uh, one of the hardest things in the world or of company building is HR, is building a team, maintaining, building up a culture, super underrated, super not talked about enough because um, we're still dealing with, you know, these bunch of ragtag people that don't actually know each other trying to build a product together, right? And I think that is very, very interesting, that whole how do I organize these these teams, how do I motivate these teams? This was extremely, like it was, it brought a lot more challenges than I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've been going now for seven years, you said, right? Well, yeah, yes and no. Seven, the company has been. Seven or eight I, years. The company has. I yes. Have. Okay, right. What have you done right for the business to have been going for eight years? Okay, so maybe... To go back one step, I actually left the company after two years. Mm -hmm. um, right, okay. I left, the, I left Wonder Tax after two years. Um, essentially, me and my co-founder, we had we had different visions where it's going to go. Um, so I think that's was also a big trial and tribulation. At the end of the day, you know, we we had VC funding, we had an investor on board. Um, they wanted to go full steam ahead, and I I also wanted to go full steam ahead. My co-founder was a bit more conservative than that. So we, like, it wasn't a, uh, like, at the end, it wasn't a great working relationship. But I think it was great that we had these investors on board because they were always very fair and very, very objective. So we had, uh, so I left the company. I, I kept the shares that I invested. We all, you know, shook hands. We all left on a good note. And I started a co-working space in Berlin. So that was, that was pretty insane because we had to, renovate 11,000 square meters uh, and at the same time, you know, service the customers that were already in there. We had to rent out. So we had to do sales. We had to do financing, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was a whole thing. And then I went to Amsterdam. I, I moved to ne the Netherlands uh, where I um, joined a, an ex-colleague of from Food Panda to build up Scan Movers, uh, which is a moving platform. Um, and we, we, I did that for four years. COVID came, 
Um, so we also, you know, like moving in the Netherlands kind of, you know, went down a bit. So like, you know, on the ground moving house. Um, so we actually like looked into what we can. So we got very entrepreneurial here where how we should, you know, expand. And we started buying up companies um, with the help of our investors that we had. So the short version is that was cool. I learned a lot. Did finance again, so that's a recurring theme. But then I, um, I said, like, I want to go back into the entrepreneurial hustle. I want to do the whole, you know, organic growth with marketing, with blah blah blah, with founding companies. So I actually did a bunch of interim jobs. I did a bunch of consulting and marketing and growth. And I talked to my old investors again from Wundertax. And um, my co-founder back then, he was already he was out of the company as well for for his own reasons. And the new MD. Uh, he resigned until the end of 2021, but he was very much like growth is not that important. Data protection is the most important thing. We were a hundred percent compliant, but you know, like they were just, you know, he was very, very much on the, everything has to be 150% compliant. So stuff like, you know, the password manager was hosted by us and blah, blah, blah. So actually like I came back into the beginning of 2022 to Wundertax. So it was a bit of an unconventional ride. And from last year onwards, I brought the band back together as well. I took our head of online marketing, brought him back to the company. Uh, he's CMO now. Back Another guy who was senior senior engineer, I brought him back to do uh, a CTO, to be CTO. And we have been scaling, cleaning up the company. We've been you know decluttering it since 2022 decluttering it like getting rid of unnecessary software stuff kyc for instance was we a home built solution so we actually outsourced this to like a ai power ml powered uh kyc service provider uh we restructured the team so going back to the hr thing how do we motivate people and we actually invested a lot into new marketing channels so we did a lot of reddit we did a lot of uh, Snapchat. We did a lot of TikTok marketing. And this year, we've actually, even though we're only on the 5th of October now, we've actually already achieved 2023 being the best year of all time. Mm, uh, brilliant. So we're very, very happy about that. And we're profitable, uh, which is, which is in the past was very unattractive, but now it's, you know, like it's the new, it's the new black. Be profitable. So we, we achieved that. And going back to your question, more things that you did right than wrong. I would say listening to customer needs is something we were quite good at. We always built stuff based on customer feedback. Mm -hmm. um, of course, like I said earlier, there were also times when it's like, well, every customer told us that they want this, but now nobody's buying it. But that worked out more often well than, than not. We also had this, so I have this principle of, you know, decluttering when it comes to management So, so or, or tech to, for that matter. So we had a lot of these open topics, like what I just said with the KYC. Uh, we had stuff like just a lot of unnecessary overhead, such as like we had our own office, which was way too large. And we had this one employee who was actually a product manager, but he was also ordering toilet paper. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> typical start, like early stage startup problem, but it shouldn't be for our, our stage, right? Yes. We're, we're a profitable company We're we're also, and we're growing. So we have the budget for it. So we actually moved into a serviced office right now. Um, actually the one that I founded after Wundertax scaling spaces, uh, in Berlin. And, you know, like I believe in focusing on the essentials, right? We are a tax company. Why the hell are we running a KYC plat a KYC tool to to validate our customers? That doesn't make sense. Like that we're we shouldn't be building that. We should be building tax software. And it's the same thing with you know like user management. So so we we at the from the very we were saying like okay let's buy a software that does it better than what we can build because nowadays. Like if you want to build a homegrown solution for a problem that you have internally, then it must be very specific for you to not buy it from somebody else. You know, mm -hmm. 
Does that does that does that make sense? Uh-huh. So 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 that's what we did. I think we were very good at that um, to declutter. I think our manage our management team is very aligned on that. I think KYC is the best example because our KYC was slow. It's it it was shit. Our customer service agents hated it and they had to do it manually. And we and it didn't improve. And now we got you know like a third party provider from the UK, which automated ninety percent of that work. That was a forty hours a week. Uh, type of work that was that's gone that's completely automated Huge. it is expensive it is expensive yeah. but you know just the efficiency gain that we have by not having de- like our customer service people doing brain a brain dead job of like validating that, that's huge i'm totally with you on that i mean people some people can, pe- can be short-sighted and think ah, oh, it's a lot of money but now think about the time you've now freed up so that you can do other things that then then, then it looks cheap right absolutely that's what i we always say money. we earn money off of tax software we don't earn money off of validating no numbers. no so yeah it's, it's money well spent if you look at the bigger picture all right absolutely. so you've had your best year uh you're, you're profitable uh, and, you're, and you're growing how have you found uh hiring with that in the growing phase hiring in the growing phase was very like it, it, it is always a challenge right because hiring is investors always tell you hire the best hire the best you can find but the thing is like you know the the absolute best in their field they go to you know the big ones mm-hmm. uh, we were a scrappy startup we just had our small little funding round and getting the best of the best is is really not that easy Right, but but I do believe that there is a big difference between hiring the best of the best and hiring the best for your company. Right, for instance, like right now at our company, we have a lot of people that are driven by different things. Right, like at the beginning of the startup, when it's when you're just like you know going up, you know you can hire young people straight out of university that will do like like they did with us with Food Panda. Right, like that were you know. That just wanted the learning experience. That will, you know, pour their their heart into into this work for, for for the the, the thrill for the learning experience, you know. But now we're at a stage of a company where we have you know people that are more settled, that are you know like have have also like families, and they they are motivated by different things. They're very good at what they do, but their motivation is a completely different one, right? They want to earn money. I mean, we all we all kind of do, but it's important for them to have a stable job with a good salary because they have you know their own lives to deal with, and they don't necessarily want to become entrepreneurs themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a different type of person. As a founder, having the foresight and having the empathy to relate to these people, what their actual motivations is, that is, I think, very important. And that is, I think, one of the most challenging things in hiring. Um, how do I? build a culture that is inclusive inclusive of these different motivations how do i attract these people to actually uh, you know how do i attract and find out what the skill sets are that we need and what this person this candidate can offer mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera, right and i think that is also i mean going back to our first found, the first founding story is of course also that the fact that you were like a first-time founder, right? You, you you don't know what you don't know, and having and we did a lot of missteps on hiring, absolutely, not necessarily because they weren't competent, but because they didn't fit into the inf- into the stage of the company, into the culture of the company. So, in the last two years, we found hiring very easy. Actually, like I'm I'm not gonna lie, it was very. It was much, much easier than in our growing stage because we are, you know, we're a profitable company. We're growing well, um, but we knew this, right? We were, we didn't make any illusions that we would be, you know, the next unicorn or, or, or anything, but we're, we have a nice company. We're growing very well and we knew what we were and we were able to communicate this to our, to, to the potential candidates. And we were able to, you know, like every offer that we wrote in the last year, we wrote, we hired about seven people, I think, seven or eight. Every offer we wrote, 
was accepted by the candidate, which we're very proud of. And I think what contributed to that to that was the self-awareness of what we are and what we can offer and what we want. And the, the other thing, what was very important, I would say, is we are a very diverse team as well. Um, so, you know, me having a background in Hong Kong, our CTO being Syrian, our CMO being having a Peruvian, or like he grew up in Peru. The team itself, very diverse in all, all the different aspects that you can think of. So, you know, race, sex, gender, as our that's um, a sexual orientation, etc. And the last seven people that we hired were all women uh, as well. So oh wow! I think Impressive. that that is very important. As I mean, it is a it is a very talked like it is a very acute topic that you that you hear about a lot recently, and you know it's a very controversial topic. But let me tell anybody that that is listening, it is a candidate looks at your company and looks at your LinkedIn and sees, okay, those are faces that look like me. <laughs> I've, I want to, it's, it's not even conscious. It's subconscious that they were like, okay, I want to join this company because, because like they seem like, you know, I can, uh, like a company I can relate to. And we were very fortunate to have, I don't know, it, it was from the beginning, like in our DNA kind of like, you know, my, my, my co-founder, Back then, he was he had Polish background as well, so we we were always kind of a diverse team, and like I said, eight eight offers written, eight accepted, and we we're very proud of that, as you should be. So, uh, what are the long term goals now then for for Wonder Touch? You've had a great year. Talk to me about the ambitions and how far do you want to take it? Uh, so, I mean, we we want to become the tax tool in in Germany. Um, in Germany, taxes are just a nightmare, and the government digitalization in Germany isn't exactly a priority topic. So, we as private company, as a startup, we step in and you know we built these these tools, and customers love it. And our ambition is in Germany, it makes sense for everyone or almost everyone to hand in the tax return because you almost always get a refund. And the people that are not handing in their tax returns right now, those are about 10 million people, are the ones that actually need it the most. You know, just think of, you know, if you're, if you're extremely wealthy, you can hire a tax, tax advisor who gets out every single little, you know, tax loophole for you. And then you get a huge, huge refund back. But people who, you know, like, let's, like nurses and, and, um, uh, construction workers, or just even your average sales employee, like they don't do their taxes because they they don't think they get anything back, mm -hmm. right? And those are normally the people that need it the most, right. not the the people that you know earn money, earn big bucks from the get go. So we really want to get that financial, you know, idea into the minds of the people. We want to expand our business. I think we're doing a huge service for people. Our tool costs 35 euros, but people, you know, get on average about a thousand euros back. Let it be 500, you know, it's still a huge profit Yeah, massive. Uh, for people that need it. Um, so, so I, I believe like we're doing something good. We're doing something good for, you know, for, like financial literacy as well. And we want to expand. We want to go big with this. I think Germany is a large enough market. We have we just launched our tool for for pensioners, for people ret for retirees. It's challenging. It's challenging because they don't. Yeah, I mean, if you're not a digital native, and the UX can be a bit confusing. Uh, so that brings a lot of own challenges. But I think our long-term vision is to be the tax tool in Germany to expand that, to bring that to more people. Excellent. So last question then, you know, the, as, as we mentioned, there's going to be lots of people listening that are perhaps thinking about starting up their own business. And you've had quite the journey, starting a business, then coming away and coming back. What's the one bit of advice you would give to someone that's perhaps listening to this thinking, yeah, I'm in that position where I, I want to start a business, but I'm just on the fence right now people that want to start a business but on the fence i mean <laughs> i would like 
I guess I'm, I, there's a big emotional, uh, you know, challenge with, with founding companies. I would, uh, like, I'm a bit more of a, you know, risk-friendly person, <laughs> to put it that way. I always tell myself, what's the worst that can happen, right? If you have, if you want to take the plunge, if you're on the fence of founding a company, more often than not, I would say go for it. Because, I mean, obviously you shouldn't end up on the street or anything, but if you have a bit of savings and you want to take a year off and start your company, you should do it. Most like, you should do it if you believe in the idea. If you <laughs> went through the steps of the MVP that I said said to you, because what's the worst that can happen? Hey, your your savings might be might have dwindled after a year, but you will always regret not having taken that shot. My dad does. T take the plunge. My father, for instance, regrets it uh, that he didn't start up his own thing when he had the idea when he had the 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 chance because he loved his I mean he did love his corporate job he 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 did thoroughly enjoy it but he does ask himself what would have been if yeah um you know what could have been and I do believe that a lot of those people that don't take the plunge because of emotional reasons because on a rational financial level like again what's the worst that can happen right like Maybe don't pour your life savings into it. And, you know, you have to know when when to stop um, because your idea is not that great <laughs> um, because the market doesn't want it. But at the end of the day, you know, you can still go back to the corporate job. You can still, you know, start applying again. You There's the fear of, of, of not doing it and regretting it is larger than the risk in most Very cases, well. I would say. Could not agree more. So yeah, and I yeah, with regards to when I'm trying to try and think about my situation, like <laughs> I I first started my own business when I was 23. If I I'm 30 now, if I hadn't have done that, yeah, I would definitely. If I was looking at it now, I'd definitely be in huge regret for sure. Yeah. I've learned more in the last seven years than I did in the previous 23. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you're always you're always challenged, of course. Um, I mean, it's it's also like my or or our, I'd say, boundless optimism. You know, like just do it, kind of way. Um, but you know, like I have I have a lot of friends that I was like, oh yeah, I'd like to be an entrepreneur. I'd like to do it, but and then they list five reasons that have that are just, you know, like them finding trying to find reasons right like and then at the end of the day i i also tell them like maybe you shouldn't be an entrepreneur because you know like if you can find five reasons to not do it you know you just need one reason to do it you know? yeah absolutely absolutely well daniel thank you so much for joining me on the style stories podcast thoroughly enjoyed that one interesting journey all the ups and downs and uh, the return of you back at wonder tax Looking forward to following your journey from afar, to be fair, and seeing <laughs> the progress that you've made after, you know, such a great year and seeing that you're profitable now. So, uh, yeah, can't thank you enough. Thank you, Daniel. Hey, Jordan, this was really fun. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. Of course, we'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest so make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode also don't forget to follow us on social media for updates and additional content and lastly if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about then let me know all feedback is appreciated thanks for listening and i'll see you next time <laughs>